0: Massive thank you, as always, to our top-tier patron Sarah Turner. It's Not Just In Your Head is hosted by psychotherapist Dr. Harriet Fraud, substance use disorder counsellor Ekoi Hero, and myself, the editor and producer, Liam Tate. This podcast is entirely funded by listeners, and as the famous meme states, we are critiquing capitalism because we are forced to participate in it in order to survive. So... If you can afford to give, then your contribution will ensure that we can keep making the show. However, if you can't, then please just leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. Tell your friends about us and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit or YouTube. In the mental health field, too often, we've made it seem as if it's just in your head. in your head. If the landlord can hijack
1: the rent by 20%. That impacts people's mental health. We can't
0: have a profit driven mental health care system if we want our people to be connected and healthy.
1: My name is Shane Shapiro. I am the author of a new book coming out in September called This Must Be the Place How Music Can Make Your City Better. In addition to that, I'm the founder of a music and economic impact consultancy called Sound Diplomacy. So we work with cities and governments all over the world on music culture and item economy related policy and strategy. And I've done a whole bunch of work over the years linking together music and urban planning and the built environment. And in addition to Sound Diplomacy, I run a global nonprofit called the Center for Music Ecosystems, which is trying to incorporate music into solving the biggest problems that we're facing in
0: the world. We've had a couple of episodes. We did an episode about our city's good for your mental health. And we had someone who does a lot of organizing around parking reform in the States. And again, revealing about, I guess, the intersection of infrastructure, mental health, capitalism, blah, 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 all connected. And in reading your book, that's very much how you're framing it as well. Like, this interesting thing of like music being this individual experience or like maybe a consumer choice, but that it's a systemic thing and it's useful to think of music in terms of infrastructure because when you do, various problems are solved. I don't know, maybe if you wanted to give a brief overview of How you conceptualize it and maybe perhaps what a music ecosystem is.
1: Yeah. So again, music is one of these things that we all share. There's very few kind of universal languages that can bring us all together or negatively impact all of us at one time. And music is one of those things. And yeah, we all view it in different ways, but if you break it down into its component parts, it's a, it's a key kind of variable or tool that unites all of us. And I see infrastructure. In, a, in the same way, infrastructure are all the things that we need to live, and whether it's water or buildings or land or so on. And I've always found music is one of those things that you may not need to live, but you'd struggle to live without. So I'm fascinated by how decisions are made to impact the places that we live, to make decisions based on improving our lives or choosing which resources go to what community and so on and so forth. And I've always found that music is a recipient of a lot of the decisions that gets made. And it's never at the table when these decisions are being brainstormed. So really, the purpose of the book was to reset the table to say, if we think about music a little bit differently as a piece of infrastructure, and within that infrastructure is an ecosystem. In the very basic sense of the word ecosystem, a whole set of component parts that when one is negatively impacted it impacts the rest of the, everything that's tied to it like a natural ecosystem if we look at music that way in our in the places that we live we can find how i think it uncovers so many ways that music can be positively impactful in terms of helping us make the best possible decisions for the most possible amount of people and this incorporates the music industry obviously but also music's role in education and health and well-being and Um, land use planning and very much in terms of supporting mental health and well-being and health and safety, everything. So the book is my attempt to bring it all together into a cohesive whole. And I hope it is.
0: It took a while to write. I think there's various interesting observations in there. I think, yeah, this idea that music is taken for granted, that on one hand, it's supremely important without music in TV or movie or sports events or like you said in the book like weddings and funerals like it's a soundtrack to everyone's lives and there's that sense of that because it's just ubiquitous like people maybe don't value it or think about it in a particular way yeah because
1: you're right it is it's ubiquity leads us to forgetting that it's there so first off the music industry The commercial music industry is very complicated, how people get paid and how music literally works as a business is not something that many people outside of the business truly understand. We tend to have very, let's say, front of house relationship with music, where we either listen to the finished article or the song, whether it's through a service provider, a digital service provider, or we buy the record or we go to a gig. We don't really understand the mechanics. And all the jobs and all the skills and everything that's required to make these finished products. We tend to not really pay much attention to how the sausage is made when we're eating the sausage, right? I'm not talking about it as a higher, as a value issue or anything hierarchical in that sense. Like we're often unintentionally taking music for granted, especially because most people are passive listeners of music and they're not going to actively seeking out new acts to listen to all the time most people are listening to music as part of something else as you say whether it's in an advert or a film or at a sporting match or on the radio or whatever and because of that ubiquity we tend to lose sight of the power
0: that it can have in making places better and in in bringing people together yeah and also is that idea of when something works you don't notice it and you do point out a whole bunch of things that actually seriously aren't working and turn up as to some degree symptoms of a dysfunction of society or policy, if you like. But there's also this idea of because all this music already exists and lots of people enjoy it, then you don't really have to do anything about it because all this great music already exists. And perhaps this is a slight derailment, but I used to frequently go to St. John's Wood around that area. And for those that don't know, that's the kind of Abbey Road studio, famous album cover. And like every time I was there, there's always people taking photos, right? Recreating the album cover. And it's that thing of St. John's Wood is a kind of fancy area, right? Of London. And it's like, how many people now living in any of these flats are actually like professional musicians or even regular working class making a living doing music? It's like you do point out that the sort of the class issue involved in music and just relying on past glories. The Beatles came about post World War II, where there's just lots of money for it's a much more socialist focused time. Yeah. The music industry certainly has changed since the
1: Beatles and there's still plenty of money to be made in our business. That's one of the misnomers is that the music industry actually for many people is doing very well. The industry grew by upwards of 9% last year, the recorded music industry and live music is much bigger than it was pre COVID, but it's an, it's become more of an hourglass than a pipeline, so to speak. The success is concentrated at the top and it squeezes the middle. But I think that what I want to see and how I envisage a city is a city that kind of treats music much like it treats anything else in St. John's Wood. I forget what council that is, sorry, but in St. John's Wood, the, the council would have a, an understanding of the music infrastructure that is existing across the area, which I'm sure they do, and what the potential need is. And if they match up, then to ensure that there's music facilities and that there's an understanding that music is an economic and social good, rather than just... A tourist photo, right? Which is still important. People are probably buying coffees at local cafes, things because they're coming to walk across the the zebra crossing. My hope is that it's seen much more comprehensively. It's amazing the cognitive dissonance that we have where, again, the Beatles didn't just happen. Taylor Swift didn't just happen. Like these artists who, who are iconic and are so important to so many people required A whole bunch of skills and educational programming and people around them to succeed. You don't just, you're not born learning how to play a guitar. You're not born learning how to sing or write a song. So there's a whole environment that we can be more deliberate and intentional about creating to to create more superstars in the world, as well as, to me, more just people who appreciate perform and
0: engage with music in their daily lives. Yeah, you had this quote there, there's no music policy at the UN, IMF or World Bank. No country has a minister for music. So that's the degree to which so much of this is taken for granted or invisible to some degree. Yeah, that's one of my bugs, but that's something I'm trying to fix. It's my focus right now in
1: my professional life outside of writing a book, that music tends not to be incorporated into how we solve or how we Invest in solving the biggest problems that we face, whether it's how to get development financing more equitable and right, how to stop conflict, how to fight the climate emergency. Music is always something that's added on. It's bolted on rather than built in. And it's because we don't have frameworks and policies that explain how music can and should be incorporated into these global agencies. Yeah, the World Bank doesn't do anything really, when it comes to music, other than there's been a couple cultural tourism initiatives that incorporate music, but that's the end. Again, that's front of house, not back of house. And I believe that there's such incredible power
0: in, in looking at it in a different way. One of the things that I thought was great was this idea of the agent of change principle.
1: It's not entirely a music or entertainment policy. So first off, it's the same policy. So one of the origins of it, and I think I wrote about it. Is that people were moving next to pig farms and complaining about the smell. So mm-hmm. it was a, it was an agricultural issue. I know this podcast is about mental health and it's really hard to think straight and be comfortable with yourself when you're constantly feel uncomfortable at home. And mm-hmm. the last thing that I want is, is people to be moving into their new homes and those homes are not delivering from a, what is needed because of. Poor insulation, but the thing is, you know, communities. We're going to solve our housing crisis by being denser, as much as we are by building out. We need to build up, and one of the the purpose of the agent of change principle is just to respect your neighbors. So that if you're building something next to something else, you have to ensure that whatever you're building is is not negatively impacting your neighbors. So if that's building a block of apartments next to a music venue. The apartments need to be soundproof. Same if you're building a new venue next to a block of apartments. So, I think one of the things that 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 really supports city vibrancy, that makes places actually work, is proper building codes that take into account entertainment, culture, and music at the very beginning. Because if we all want to live in vibrant places, in places with great quality of life, you have to build that into how places are built. So right. the agent change principle is one of the ways to do that. And it's something that I worked on here in the UK and has been adopted in a few other places as well.
0: Yeah, because that and that is exactly what was happening, right? Is that developers would come along, build a block of flats next to some sort of entertainment place. People would move in, complain about the noise, then the venue had to close.
1: Yeah, or it was threatened. That's happened a lot. Certainly, it creates a lot of, lit- of litigation which obviously could then be reinvested in. Imagine if that money was actually spent developing artists or supporting a food bank even, like anything. It's a lot of money gets spent because of bad decisions that are made in pre-application and planning phases.
2: One of the things reading throughout the book is anything in the arts, whether it's music, whether it's dance, it's in a lot of ways by society considered like non-essential goods. Because you don't die without it necessarily. It's not like food or water or housing. And so it gets relegated to the sidelines. And one of the things about this book is ultimately, if you want, if you want to encourage something and make sure that an entity has a vibrant place in society that it needs more than just private. Market demands.
1: Yeah. We always joke that everyone's a socialist when they need help. Right. Right. <laughs> if you're desperate for an ambulance, then you're a socialist. Like it's, uh, and maybe that word to certain audiences. I know that has a lot of baggage. I don't mean that politically, but there are just certain things in communities that have non monetary value as well Absolutely. as monetary value. And yeah. music is complicated. Some of it, is more focused on monetary value, commercial tastes or mass market tastes and some of it is more niche and but I'm a data and evidence guy. I'm like whatever decisions yeah. that are taken in a community to invest in culture should be taken with as we say kind of evidence-based policy making rather than policy-based evidence making. And music is an emotional thing. It's something that conjures up dopamine and emotions in all of us. And we tend to think about music personally. We don't tend to think about music structurally, as you said, Liam. And the book is my attempt to try to change that and say, listen, everyone can love what they love. Like, I'm not talking about anyone's particular love or dislike of any kind of music, but we need to look at music more holistically as a community development tool. And if we do that, then it has implications on building codes
2: building codes, zoning, various, how do you arrange for like public transport in specific areas? That's Those are the things that you want to make sure that a feature, right, that it's accessible, that it doesn't create conflict, that it brings more to the community, that it does require a lot of planning of those things. And we never think about those things in terms of the arts in general.
1: I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of baggage there. There's a history of how we in our, I said, Anglo-Saxon Western world think of the arts. There's also a different right. way that, that Eastern culture and Middle Eastern culture and different cultures think of the arts. And the arts in, in many communities still is not an economy. It's not seen as an economy. It's not seen as something that you can pursue as a job. I can't tell you how many times when I was a kid and I was working in music, I was told to get a real job. I find that all very insidious, but I also understand why. And it's not something that you can just say this is wrong. You have to present better solutions. And to me, right. that my book is my attempt to do that. No,
2: because one of the major things about having a wide range of music venues. And I know, like you've mentioned, places like Memphis and New Orleans and such, Nashville in the book. But Mm -hmm. one of the things is I would, like the smaller venues and access to all these smaller venues do give a real opportunity to people who don't, also don't necessarily want this to be like their full-time job. And and I think that's one of the most Because there is only like a very particular set of people that necessarily want to be like full-time musicians as a long-term career.
1: Yeah, crazy people, as we always say.
2: There is a certain commitment. Just a lot of people love to dance. A lot of people couldn't hack being a professional dancer. Yeah,
1: I'm not I think a larger, more engaged, active music industry in every community is a good thing. Yes. But that's not something that's going to happen everywhere. I know that. I think that you're right. When I was writing it, I wanted to just present a message that said that music in whatever way that you experience it, whoever you are, is good. And we need to set up the circumstances to allow you to experience it more in whatever way that you, whoever you are, wants to do it. If that's going to one gig a year, that's fine. If it's joining a local choir, that's also fine. But in order to join a local choir, you need facilities to do that. In order to go to that one gig a year, there needs to be that one gig a year that you want to go to. And right. so everything can be made more intentional. Everything can be more deliberate. And I see very little negatives to investing in music. The only negative is if it has to be reallocated from something else. But then it's just a cost-benefit analysis of if we're putting a dollar into something musical, and we're taking a dollar out of something, then we have to look at what that cost-benefit is. And if it demonstrates that there is no cost-benefit, then I wouldn't be advocating to put it in. If you think about it, it's pretty basic stuff. It's just, what kind of place do we want to live in? What kind of world do we want to live in? And if we want to live in a better one, then music is part of the toolbox to get us there.
0: Yeah, and the interesting thing as well in that was that if hip-hop is like, the most popular genre why is a lot of school music education still based around sort of European classical and all that kind of stuff because from my personal experience that stuff just left me completely cold completely put me off music and it was only through going to the pub and seeing a local band play that that was like oh shit I want to do this and then that was the beginning process of me learning guitar. But that has taken me all kinds of interesting places, right? I was essentially semi-professional, did music for television, did music for video games. So it's all great, right? But school was n- not anything to do with that. Yeah. So that, that's a huge part of the picture, isn't it? A lot of music music education is so important, I think. Without it, there is, we have
1: nothing. I always advocated for more of it, but I'm not, I don't, I feel like we need more diversity in genre. Yeah, the reason why hip-hop isn't taught as a standard in school is probably racism. And and hip-hop is quite difficult to understand if you're not a fan of it, especially a lot of the, a lot of modern hip-hop where people are, are rapping about their experiences or writing about their experiences and they're having experiences that a lot of other people don't understand. But I think that we need to be pushing for a world that incorporates hip-hop more into schools, but also supports and protects the grassroots music venues that you found yourself in, Liam. Like, my background is a bit of both. But now kids are discovering music on TikTok, and they're discovering music in completely different ways. And we have to be malleable and understand how music is being listened to. And also explain that how music is being listened to is changing how we pay for it. And In order to sustain and have a thriving music industry long into the future, we have to think long and hard about how we pay for it and how we encourage
0: people to pursue their creativity and pursue their art. Obviously, there's a bigger fight going on with the streaming stuff because you talk about COVID-19 in the book and how obviously that was a disaster for all these venues and live music in general. But obviously, streaming shot up and the profits of all these multinational companies that obviously increased. There's that funny thing you said about there was a white noise playlist that's made like millions of dollars. But the key (laughs) point being is that, as you said, 90% of streams go to top 1% of artists. That sounds like a sort of familiar ratio in other sectors of society as well. So that's a whole other kind of battle. uh, Yeah,
1: the music industry is a mirror of society. The more unequal society is, the more unequal the music industry is. There are many countries in the world that lack copyright frameworks. Like many, I count over 50% of the world doesn't have robust, transparent copyright infrastructure. So that means that if you're an artist from that country, unless you essentially leave the country in terms of registering your rights outside of that country, then you can't get paid. So there's a lot of, there's so much work to do to To create an an infrastructure and an ecosystem that demonstrates why music matters and how it can matter more. And yeah, the book, like the COVID section, I rewrote three times because things kept changing as I kept writing it. But yeah, there's a whole business in the music industry around AI-generated music and uh, sounds rather than music, like white noise or rain or things like that. And Epidemic Sound are one of the bigger companies in that space, but there's lots of companies that do that. And there's a lot of money to be made in creating a sound that sounds like clouds, but that's not a bad thing. It's that comes to the complexity of the industry. And I'm thinking, how can we be better at explaining all the opportunities that the industrial side of music could bring to a community by simplifying
0: Explaining how it works. I, I, but I guess I, the, what I find fascinating, and I'm sure you've had to do this dance, is how you define value or how you measure the immeasurable. Because the things, presumably, that are easy to measure and put in front of people's faces to convince them are probably economic things. If you can demonstrate that if you do X, Y, Z, you make money, then generally speaking, I can imagine that's a sums up. And Sometimes those things align, right? If we can make money, then that's a good. And if people's quality of life improves because of it, that's great as well. But is it difficult to navigate this world? Because obviously what you're doing is really through the front door. It's above the line. It's working inside the systems that exist, right? For people's better quality of life. I'm just wondering if... Is there any sort of struggles that happen where it always has to go through this sort of financial lens to justify policy? Is that what does it? Or is working with with the state, does it have some space to go? This isn't just about money. This is about, yeah, quality of life, whatever that means. It usually comes down to the economic impact.
1: Um, Unfortunately, I am of the belief that it's better to change the system from within than fight the system from without. Although I, I honor and impressed with people who are fighting the system from outside too. I'm very, um, privileged in that sense where I've been given access inside a lot of these systems. I think because I'm, I'm a white guy and I'm North American and I speak English in that sense. And I find that the social and cultural side of things is quite is often quite lost, but what's most challenging is when the social and cultural side of music is recognized, it's not recognized alongside the economic side of music, and that's what needs to change. UNESCO are an amazing organization, and they've got over 150 countries to sign a resolution stating that culture is a public good. It's called the Mondia Cult Declaration, and that's amazing because that forces the governments to respond Because they've signed something that says they have to do something. There isn't a link that says, okay, if something is a public good, then how do we invest in it to then Mm. grow it as an economy? And how do we link cultural and social development and economic development around music? It's sometimes one or the other. And that's something that I struggle with. And that's something that I'm working on trying to change. But Mm. we have to be better at recognizing there's a lot of these like top music cities in the world and top places to live. And they often completely ignore cities in the global south. And Lagos is, for example, is just as incredible and exciting a music city as any city in the world. But it's often not, at least in the, from the Western perspective, it's not recognized as that because it may not have the robust policy infrastructure that London has, but it'll get there. And I think we we have a long way to go. And I'm very optimistic that we'll get there. If all this
0: stuff facilitates people making a living playing music and actually being able to survive off it, then that's a win. Yeah, yeah survive off it financially
1: or it impact their, impact themselves, their mental health, or just make them happier, make them more confident, provide some respite to challenging circumstances. So I've said, yeah. it's, no one's ever been to a wedding or a funeral without music. I, I think that, it, it's both of those things to me. If more people are making more money out of music, amazing. We need to continue to do that. But also music just needs to make people's lives better as much as it possibly can. And we need the infrastructure and the, and to ensure that happens in more places. Yeah.
0: Uh, it's kind of interesting. Was it music city or city of music? These sort of terms that places trade off as a sort of tourist draw. Both. Um, uh, there's both.
1: There's the UNESCO Cities of Music Network, but then there's lots of cities that call themselves
0: music cities in different ways. And the issue with that being that it that can appear that they are doing something progressive for the city, but it doesn't necessarily mean it. Like, it can just be a brand.
1: Yeah. Depends on the city. It's a call to action. Nashville trademarks Nashville Music City. When they're the the leader in this space, but lots of cities that my firm sound diplomacy that I found it has worked on have developed music city related policies in different ways as well. Right. Not all success, you know, every city goes about it in a different way, but it's all about pushing to take music seriously, as I said.
0: So just because it has the label doesn't mean, because you have this quote for something to exist, it must have a policy. It's just because mm-hmm. it has that on the front window, as it were, it doesn't necessarily mean that in the background they actually have the sort of functioning music ecosystem policy that you're advocating for. Uh, yeah, that is true. Not every music city
1: is taking full advantage of, of growing their music ecosystem and incorporating the policies and practices that I write about in the book.
0: Yeah, because you do have this kind of blueprint. You have a sort of recommendation yep. of like how all this stuff could be laid out. Is that, Do you have a kind of summary to hand that you think a successful music ecosystem or music policy Looks like. Yeah. There are a number of
1: cities that I can point towards, which I do. Obviously, Huntsville, I write about a lot in the book. I think they're doing a lot of good work to really develop a music policy from scratch. London with the research and the work that was done to support music venues. But it's one of these things that like having an active music cities policy is just process like any other. It's the rubbish is going to be picked up next week. And just because it was picked up this week doesn't mean that what does that mean, right? It's A music policy is a process like any other policy in a city. So just constantly starting something and engaging in it and incorporating music into city planning and policy is a success to me. And doing it with an allocated budget and allocated staff members. And lots of, about 50 or 60 cities around the world have taken that and run
0: with it in the last couple of years. Yeah, and that initial... Set up for you guys for sound diplomacy. It sounded like it was really tricky, right? Because music wasn't maybe taken seriously or taken for granted. You, there was like 150 grants that you were exempt from as a business, right? Setting up or something like that.
1: Yeah. Like when I set up sound diplomacy, I couldn't get access to anything (laughs) because I wasn't a, I wasn't a startup because I didn't make a, I didn't make an app and I wasn't a consultancy because I was consulting on something that didn't exist. So there was a lot, so there was a lot of, it took a while and this isn't by design as why would I design it this way? It just happened that way. And I had to create a market that I worked in and we did it by writing, by giving a lot of this stuff away and by trying to explain ourselves. And, and now things are different, thankfully, Uh, but at the beginning, it wasn't easy. And now I've learned a lot of the, from all the mistakes that i would made of how it can be better. And one of the reasons why I wrote the book is I wanted to provide something that was accessible to everybody that at least was uh, at least lined in the sand kind of thing now I've written down everything I know up until this point, and then we'll go from here. Thank you for featuring me and everything i'm uh it's a, a real honor you like the book thanks for reading it yeah a, a real pleasure yeah, yeah I realize we please, we've hit time yeah um, but yeah you know, please tell all your friends and and I'll be, I'll probably be on the West Coast sometime early next year as part of my book tour, but I'm doing the East Coast this autumn. But if you need anything else from me, just let me know. Awesome. Okay. Thank you again. Okay. All the best. See you later.
2: Huge part of all these things is money, right? That's that's like the sad thing about the arts in capitalism is that ultimately nobody Mm. carves out the space for something that's not profitable. Because that's one of the major things making a professional living out of a creative career can be really difficult. I've known a lot of people that went into being trying to be like professional musicians and the ones that ended up having the most longevity were like session musicians that, that weren't necessarily like creating their own work. But being hired guns, because they actually really enjoy the process of playing the instrument as much as like the creative process of creating new music. Creating new music is stressful. It's not necessarily for everyone. And ultimately, music is something that I want people to enjoy doing, Mm -hmm. not necessarily make into a career or a job. And I think if you're going to make it into a career and a job, also, it shouldn't be like poverty or extreme wealth. You should have more opportunity to be able to make a living, not necessarily a luxurious living that you can like subsist on. Right. And like we don't really have that that middle ground at all in music.
0: No. And my personal background is that I never fully committed to just doing music. Because one is really precarious. Also, the time commitment for the reward seemed not particularly great for any kind of quality of life.
2: My advice to a lot of like my younger friends in, in my 30s, when I came across some younger friends that were 18, 19, 20, I think that's a really good age. Give yourself a nice time limit right? And Um, go fucking enjoy your life. And if that's committing to being a musician for a few years, do it, right? Because you can't do it when you have mortgage wife and kids or mortgage husband and kids. When you're young and unencumbered is really the opportunity to be able to do a lot of these things in life. Ultimately, yeah, like a lot of times the end result of it is that just like a lot of things, trying to make a job out of something that you really love isn't necessarily good for your love of music. Because I know a lot of people that tried to be musicians that where they got burned out and they were like, I haven't picked up my instrument in five years.
0: Yeah, that was also a big fear. Like I started to realize quite how stressed I was becoming with assignments. And on one hand, it's great because it makes you write a load of music. But on the other hand, it stops you doing it for reasons that are just joyful and that became a really scary thing it was trying to figure out like what's more important
2: growing up i remember this was a lot more of a thing in my working class friends actually but the dads or like even the moms some of them like being in a band as Mm. a side just for fun And they would have, like, gigs at bars every now and then. But this was absolutely not for money. This was, like, purely for enjoyment. And I would like to see, like, more of that. Another thing, too, is people having to share homes. Because even, like, 30 years ago, when I was, like, 18, most of my friends who were fucking broke, mind you, that were in their, like, early 20s, right? Mm Working jobs, waitressing, bartending, whatever, they could afford their own apartment. Because when you have roommates, right, I think there are so many economic forces actually that is impacting like the drummer crunch that I see everywhere. And this is not meant to be like a derogatory statement against hip hop. But one of the things about the rise of hip hop is that people can't afford instruments.
0: Yeah, right? or a place to practice. Really,
2: there is a reason that hip hop came out of the inner city because the inner city is not generally known for people being able to afford instruments, people being have having space or time. Or usually, yeah. you're living like sardines in an apartment, in multi generational, three generations living in or an extended family. Oftentimes, living in like a single apartment kind of setting none of which are like necessarily environments for at least instrumental playing. They're absolutely skill involved in hip hop, sure. But it is a very different skill. Again, it's one of those things where like hip hop, you can actually practice quietly on your own in a way that you can't with singing. Because when one of my friends was like, oh yeah, I really think a big part of like mumble rap comes from like people not having a place to be able to like really even rap out loud Mm. using the full force of their voice
0: interesting Um, it's good that i'm still recording because i think what i might do is add some of our stuff on the end of it because i think we've touched some interesting points Massive thank you as always to our VIP patrons. Rebecca Johns, Bruce Rogers Vaughan, Alexander Lashley, Sheena Belmus, Seamus O'Connell, Alex Placito, Alexandra McCormick, Wig Shaker, Elizabeth McKechnie, Fontaine, Hartley Wilmoth, Red Yen Kola, Joseph Carreri, E, and Sean Vernado. By the way, listeners, if you have enjoyed anything you've heard Harriet say in this program,
1: you will definitely enjoy Capitalism Hits Home, which is a solo program that Harriet does through Democracy at Work, which is a worker-owned cooperative that produces other great programs such as Economic Update with Richard Wolf and the Anti-Capitalist Chronicles with David Harvey. I can't recommend enough that everyone also listen to Capitalism Hits Home if you enjoy It's Not Just in Your Head.
0: And if you want to hear even more from Harriet, check out her radio show, Interpolis personal update on WBAI and in the WBAI archives.